The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Kids, quit hanging candy canes on the old Tannenbaum and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 402 with guest Oren Eni, recorded live at Ordev in Malmö, Sweden, Wednesday, November 19th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says, the heck with Sarah Palin. Let's interview the turkey, Carl Franklin. Hello and welcome to .NET Rocks Live at Ordev. I'm Carl Franklin, this is Richard Campbell, and we're going to be talking to Ayende Rahin. Hi, Ayende. Nice to meet you again. Good to see you, Ayende. Nice to see you again. He has handed me this, the, the coolest little, oh, it's not a touch laptop, is it? No. This MacBook Air, which... Uh, Literally about five ounces. It's so cute. It's very cute. It's almost like a real computer. Yeah. Uh, so, but this has your bio on it. So I'll read uh, Oren's bio. Oren Eni, or Ayende Rahin, is an independent consultant based in Israel. His main focus is on architecture and best practices that promote quality software and zero friction development. Oren is the author of Rhino Mocks, one of the most popular mocking frameworks on the .NET platform and is also a leading figure in other well-known open-source projects, including the Castle Project and N-Hibernate. An internationally known presenter, Oren has spoken at conferences such as DevTeach, J-A-O-O, you could say JAO. I say JAO, I don't know if that's the right okay. way of doing that. And Ordev, where we are now, and is the author of the book Building Domain-Specific Languages with Boo, soon to be published by Manning. Oren, using his pseudonym as Ayende Rahin, is a frequent blogger at www.ayende.com. That's A-Y-E-N-D-E dot com slash blog. His hobbies include reading fantasy novels, reviewing code, and writing about himself in the third person. (laughs) (laughs) 
Warren is also a Microsoft MVP, a fact that he tends to forget when writing a bio. Welcome, Warren. Hi. How are you? Thank you for coming back on the show. The last time we did a show with you, I think, uh, was a SmackDown show in uh, Montreal. Uh, or did we do another one? No, we had the panel. There's something about Dev Oh, the Dev Teach yes. panel. Yeah. We keep doing shows in Dev Teach with <laughs> right. you. So I think with Toronto, we had you on a panel That's talking right. about Future.net. Yeah. I think that one went thoroughly off the rails, too. It was thoroughly <laughs> off what the I look for in a good show, actually. <laughs> well, it's always good to talk to you, of course. Uh, Rhino Mox, this is your baby. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we should back all the way up. Yeah. I want to mock what and why. Yeah, what is mocking anyway? <laughs> Let's take it even a couple of steps back even more. Okay. When we are building a software, we have a couple of ways of doing that. And one of the ways that we want to build quality software, software that is maintainable over time, is to maintain good oral practices. This is the solid principles, single responsibility, open-close principle, list cost substitution principle, interface segregation principle, and dependency injection principles. Okay. All of those combined give you really good uh, uh, software practices, but what they also give you is a piece of software that is composed of a lot of tiny objects that are collaborating together to get some result. Mm. Now, in such a system, what you want to do is to be able to go into each of these objects. It has only a single thing that you do, so it's very easy to test that, Yeah. but it's not doing... Anything in isolation, right? Yeah. Anything beyond doing uh, integer addition requires collaboration with something else, right? Now, let's say that I want to test my order processing uh, uh, component. Now, the order processing component is uh, also dealing with a uh, tax calculation, discount calculation, mm-hmm. uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's uh, the order processing component is just an aggregation of components that work together to get something working. Right. Now, let's say that I want to uh, test the uh, order uh, processing, that aggregation, that if discount is uh, uh, higher than the price of the object, uh, of the uh, order, then we don't actually charge ourselves for the order, something right. like that. Right. Then I want to, uh, then I need to have some sort of a, a, a discount processor or discount calculator that actually gives me a negative result. Now, I can, now, in order to do that, I need to somehow convince the discount calculator to give me a negative result, which may not even be possible in the court implementation. But yeah. I still have a business rule for this particular case. Now, uh, if I'm working in a, in a real environment, which I have separation between uh, each of the concerns, then I'm able to say, okay, here is the order calculation, order uh, processing component. Here is the, the discount processing component. They are separate by an interface because I don't care if I'm doing the uh, discount by just uh, give preferred customer 10% off or uh, has some huge complex uh, role engine behind that. Right. Now, because of that, I'm also able to give the uh, order processing a fake object that basically always returns minus, minus 5,000 on the order, and now yeah. I'm able to try to process an order and see what the total uh, that I'm going to be charged and see that it's zero instead of minus 5,000. Right. Now, this is a very uh, a specific example of where I want to fake the result of an object. And, you know, before we had mock objects, we would do this by going into our functions and our methods and putting a little sentry code at the top of a 
something to just return a value yeah. and then going back once we've tested it or whatever and commenting that mm -hmm. out. That is one it. way of doing that. Yeah. Oh, very often it is the only way you have, if you have a, a couple code and you can't really break dependencies very easily. Yeah. Another way of doing that would be just to create a fake tax fake object, yeah. which implements the same interface and does the same thing. The problem is that, okay, in this test, I need a tax, I need a decent calculator that return a negative uh, 5,000. Yeah. In this test, I need a tax calculator that yeah. uh, takes five seconds to run. So the point is, it gets very complex very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and, and just managing all of that stuff, I want to be able to keep the test stuff separate from real so stuff. And, right. And yeah. actually, you know, making it easy to run through all of those tests. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really work without something that will make that process yeah. less Yeah, so we want to make painful. this something as easy, as easy to do as possible. Yeah. So uh, that is why you have mocking framework. And mocking framework in... So all mock objects work on the same principle. Given some input, such as the type name, such as the a type object or whatever, they, get, they give you a, a, a fake object. Yeah. This fake object... Uh, can be programmed to do things such as when you call the calculate discount with these parameters, I want you to return minus five. When you call the discount uh, calculator when, uh, with this parameter, I want you to throw an exception. Yeah. And then you can uh, uh, take this uh, fake object and send it somewhere into the, co into the code that you are actually testing mm. and verify that with this behavior, this is what I'm doing. It's not just for rules, too. It's for some things that can't really be tested. If you've got something that, uh, something that will actually go out and send an email, for example, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, make a, call up your bank and charge a, you know, make yeah, a like charge a credit on your card credit card transaction. Great one, because those cost money. Yeah, oh, yeah. you can't uh, test easily. My typical that. example is actually a sending SMS, because at one yeah. point I actually wrote a system that needed to send an SMS, and... I put it. I, I wrote a test case which actually tested the actual SMS provider, mm. and it was basically send an email to the CEO. You are a chicken. Send a, a <laughs> send an SMS, and I did that and uh, put it in the test suite. And every time it build, every time we build the software, it would send an SMS to the CEO. You are a chicken. <laughs> he couldn't figure out why. <laughs> now, leaving aside that uh, he was very confused, it actually cost money to send each yeah, SMS. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's when you get the bug that actually sends thirty thousand of them. I nice. don't want uh, don't want to get into that. I accidentally <laughs> put my own email address at the error handling piece of the code. Yeah. Right. Put it in production. Two thousand emails later, <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> but uh, so. Sure. Uh, you said, mentioned email calling to a, a credit card authorization, mm. stuff like that. Those are things that I really want to be able to test to know what's going on. What happens if my uh, uh, credit card gateway is down or just yeah. responding way too slowly? Right. right. So this is something that I really want to be able to test. And it's not easy. to You, you can't call the credit card company and say, hey, I'm about to send a request. I want <laughs> you to take two minutes to respond. Can you do that for yeah. me? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really not something that you want to do. So, so tell us about the, the how do you use Rhino Mocks as a mocking framework? You know, what has make this whole process easier? Okay, so with Rhino Mocks, you basically mock repository, mock repository generate mock, put the type in the, as a generic parameter, and you get a fake object back. Okay. And then you can do on this fake object, let's call it mock SMS sender. You can do mock SMS sender dot expect, 
put a lambda inside that says whatever you want uh, to happen, and then you can basically say what you want this, this method call to do. Mm. Should it return some value? Should it draw an exception? Should it wait five seconds? Should it uh, call some other things? You can literally do everything that you want so to do. So it's interesting. You're, you're not generating code to, to substitute. You're dynamically generating these objects as a factory, right? Yes. So you're sort of looking at the type, using reflection, going through that, creating yes. something that doesn't, uh, you know, that doesn't really do anything. And then you've got these other, as you say, mm -hmm. lambda expressions to, to tell it what to do. So yes you're not actually no. going in and Oh, no. No, no, no. You, you, have, you don't have to write. Yeah. So, okay, let's split that into two pieces. Yeah. What the core component part of RhinoMox is Castle Dynamic Proxy. Yeah. And Castle Dynamic Proxy, given a type will dynamically create a subclass of this type which override all the uh, 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 methods and properties and whatever that you want. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. given that, I'm able to intercept every method call sure. that you make to this object, assuming that this is a virtual method call or if this is an interface, but we leave that aside. And that means that you give me an interface, I give you an implementation of this interface, that the only thing that this implementation does, it call back to RhinoMox, and tell it, and, uh, uh, someone call this uh, uh, method. Mm. Now, internally, I can uh, decide, based on the state of uh, the object, if I should, uh, this is a method that I'm now recording this method call, mm. and the user is going to tell me how to treat it uh, next time this will be called. Yeah. And, or I can decide, okay, now this is the, the second time that this method was called, and now I can uh, uh, execute whatever the user has wanted me to do. Yeah. Now, another thing uh, that uh, you may want to do, you may want, we spoke only, so far only about the part where we are actually providing implementation to the, uh, to the code under test. But another thing that I want to do is to test the interaction, this is usually the more common thing that people want to do with Mocha right. Framework, is to test the interaction of uh, the object under test. So if three error happen in the last five seconds, I want to send an SMS to the administrator. Right. So the test, what I'm testing is not actually the, the, uh, some state that happened as a result. I'm not testing that the order processing has given me a total of zero instead of minus 5,000. Yeah. I'm testing that a method call was made on the SMS sender object. So uh, this is basically uh, allowing me to say, okay, here, take the object, execute the code, when I'm finished executing the code under test, I'm able to say, okay, I want to assert that this method was called with this parameter, without this parameter. Sure. It was called five times, six times, whatever. Anything that happened, I can assert on uh, that this happened. So we have this uh, uh, two things. One is provide fake implementation during the test, and second, mm -hmm. to verify an interaction that happened during the test. Now, I released RhinoMock 3.5 about a month ago, I think, something like that. Right. And that was after, I think, almost four months of being an RC version and basically taking advantage of all the new 3.5 features that I could think of. Yeah. Now, I should mention that uh, the first Mocky framework who actually took real advantage of the 3.5 uh, version, 3.5 language features that we have is Mokyu from uh, Kzu, Daniel, I don't remember his last name, okay. Daniel Casanino. So, okay. uh, so he uh, uh, really did some really nice work regarding how you can do mocking E3.5, lots of lambda, 
lot of parsing of things. The implementation that um, he did and I did for the triple five is look very similar on the surface, drastically different underneath, but that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And basically, now you have really nice syntax. Let's go back again and talk about yeah. testing uh, patterns. One sure. of the major uh, concepts in testing is called AAA. Arrange, act, assert. This is how you want the structure of a test to look like. Mm. So here is the things that, yeah, I'm using my hand, not people won't see. <laughs> okay. So uh, the hand movements do come across on the radio. <laughs> yeah, actually. That's right. Pressure differences. Okay. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you this special message. What's more important for your web applications? High performance on the server or on the client? How about footprint, number of server requests? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your application performance, and of course, there is no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building their UI components, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution for different products, different scenarios, and even different browsers. The techniques vary dramatically. As a result, you, the developer, receive out-of-the-box, highly reliable components that are optimized in every aspect of their behavior. I'm sure you'll be interested to learn more about the various performance-boosting techniques for web applications. Just go to telerik.com slash top performance for details and live demos. So the first part of the test, I'm arranging. This is the initial state of the test. Yeah. The action, this is the action. And the assertion is uh, uh, what I'm certain. So basically, given this uh, uh, initial state and this action, this is what should happen. So when you talk about a range, are you mm -hmm. really talking about isolating? I only want to test this piece or these two in combination. Is that really the arranging part? This is the initial state of the system that I'm testing. Right. How, what, what's currently in memory? What state yes. we're sort of in? Yes. And now we're going to, you know, we've created an order. We're not testing orders. We're testing credit card processing. So mm -hmm. the arranges create a state of an order. And now I'm going to go test yeah. the credit card part. Given a state of the order that has a, it's an order that is over $10,000, right. I should split it up some way so I wouldn't hit the $10,000 limit and I get blah, blah, blah. Yeah, All right. sorts of cra crazy business rules. So, I'm so the arranged part would be create an order whose total is over 10000 uh, Get us into a condition for yes. the test we want to sure. do. Mm -hmm. Now, execute the order processing rule for this order. Uh, the assert would be that, the, uh, that I try to authorize uh, on five payments of $5,000 each. Sure. Something like that. Right. Okay. So this is how it works. It's also very natural to read that. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with using mocking is that uh, it suddenly breaks that because you need to, or because you need to set the behavior in the test, then, right. uh, then what you have is the, the arranged part also include expectation about how the code under test behave. Mm. And then uh, after you execute the code under test, you need to verify that this is what uh, actually happened. So it sort of throws a monkey wrench in that process. Yeah, it's make it a little harder yeah. or sometimes significantly harder, depending on the complexity of uh, the expectation that you have for the code, uh, to see what's going on. Right. So one of the, one of the things that uh, I think really helped in 3.5 is that we now uh, support the AAA syntax to at least to the best degree that we can. 
if you want to have different behavior for the for the fake object uh, in the test, you really want to uh, you need to set it up before the code actually run. Yeah. But this is this goes very nicely into the arrange section of the code, instead of uh, being a, a, an expectation section, which is complete by a verification section after the code run. So, ex um, expectation is I'm expecting that a, a verified authorized uh, amount on the credit card processor mm -hmm. will be called five times. Mm -hmm. This is my expectation. And then I run the code and then I verify that the expectation was met. That's the assertion part here is yeah. you expected this, here's what you got, these yeah. match, they don't. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with expect and verify is that this assertion piece is now broken into two separate pieces. Right. So I'm seeing, I have this um, one method, verify all here, that does all the verification, but in order to see what, what I'm actually uh, 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 asserting here, I have to go into the expect section and see what's going on. Right. Now, when you say expect section, uh, what's the interface for the developer here? Is it configuration files? Is oh, it no. an application? Oh, no. Windows app? <laughs> no, it's in the code you write uh, something like that. Expect.call, okay. uh, SMS sender.send. Uh, so it's an add-in? It's no, it's plug just Visual course. Studio. No, no, no. It's uh, literally it's just a library. It's a you, library. Yeah, you okay. reference that in the uh, you reference that in in the uh, test project. Okay. And now we have additional API. Okay. And one of the things that uh, uh, Ranomok got a lot of uh, uh, praises about mm -hmm. was that the API, uh, to the best of my ability, and to the whole of the C sharp uh, language designer, I think. Yeah. Uh, I tried to give a, an API that was as focused as possible on the target. Yeah. The reason I'm saying that the whole of the C Sharp language designer is that I, I abused basically every part of the language that I could <laughs> in order to get a really nice syntax. Do you use attributes? No, it's not. It's just literally a single method call. Expect, this okay. is the statement. Expect.call SMS. Uh, uh, SMS sender dot uh, uh, send. Okay. And then you and, and then you specify what the parameter are. And that's okay. it. So oh, all right. it's, it's so only the idea line. is creating a, like a one line. One line. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And now the problem is that some people are taking that way too far. And then you have an expectation to go for thirty lines. I wow. Actually, yeah. Spoken I, like someone who's been on the phone doing tech support quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, so you sometimes get an email in. And emails and all you that. You really shouldn't try to implement your objects using RhinoMox. I mean, I, I have people trying to implement complex object interaction using RhinoMox. Yeah, it's yeah. possible. Yeah. It's not a good thing to do. Actually, I, at one point, uh, we had to go into production demo, and um, I couldn't get the DBA to, give, to actually give me the database password. Oh, yeah, so no, mm -hmm. this is for production. I need oh. to show a demo, and uh, you put me on the production box for that. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't get, not, it's not ready or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we ran for, I think, two weeks of customer demo with RhinoMox being the back end database. Nice. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So if you restart the server, it would all go down. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was demo, so who yeah, cared? Yeah, yeah. But it was literally very surprising to see that it actually worked. Um, are, you, are you expecting certain things in the architecture of an application in order to use Rhino Mox yeah, successfully? I, I, the, I don't mean to restate your question per se, but it's, it feels like if you're going to use Rhino Mox, you have an impact on the architecture of the app. That you you right. sort of have to build your objects to be very testable. And way. granular and all yes that. Yes and no. 
the only thing that I expect from an application is that objects are not coupled. Right. Now, Rhinomox, basically, one of the design guidelines for Rhinomox is that if you can do anything that Rhinomox can do for you, you can do on your own. Now, there are other mocking frameworks. TypeMock is a good example sure. of a mocking framework that says, okay, there are no rules. If you want something, I will give it to you. This is a really great way of handling code that is coupled. This is really a, a great way of a, maintaining a certain a, a style and having the tools support you in this way. Right. I just, yeah. me personally, I don't like this style. Right. And, and you're going to do everything in your power to make sure that people write their code the right yeah, way. So yeah. So uh, Rhinomox is, Rhinomox started and to some degree still is, is a mocking framework that I want to use. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So I get the sense that most of the libraries you build are stuff you needed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. One of the things that uh, I'm doing, uh, one of the reasons that, there are lots of reasons to do open source stuff, and Runamox is obviously open source, mm -hmm. is I want to just play with something. I want to use that, and I want a, a, to make money out of that or make a, a, a reputation for myself. And speaking of money, is mm -hmm. what is Rhinomox a paid commercial product? No, it's an open source free product. I sometimes wish I would charge one dollar for that, <laughs> because I would be a millionaire by now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, literally, I did. Uh, I recently did uh, just some um, uh, stats about the downloads, and Rhinomox was downloaded some ridiculous amount of times, uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe more. Wow. And yeah, and that is direct downloads for me for a, a single version. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it's I I think that it is the most popular one on the .NET space. Mm -hmm. It's certainly one of the most popular ones. Does it work uh, in concert with a lot of the other tools that you use? I mean, I know you're a big, huge N Hibernate fan. Yes. So here's the deal. One yeah. of the uh, Mokin is a has some, some sort of rules. And you, should, you mock only the parts that you own. Now, yeah. you can, and Hibernate is actually a, a mockable in the sense that what you get from, from Hibernate are interfaces that are very easy to mock. Yeah. Right. The problem is that Hibernate isn't mockable in the sense that you don't want to try to mock this piece of the code because... This is not something that's not something you're going to test because you can't change it, right? Yeah, not only yeah, th that's one thing, and more more to the point, it's very a uh, uh, low level uh, uh, way of thinking about things. I right. don't want. Uh, here's a good example. Let's take a, 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 a .NET code. If you're not tying yourself directly to the uh, 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 provider implementation, if you use IDB command and IDB connection, yeah, extremely mockable. Yeah, but I want to execute a stop procedure with two parameters. Mm. Now, in order to mock that, I need to mock IDB connection, IDB command. I need to uh, uh, mock the uh, parameter collection. I need to mock the uh, two add parameters. It gets pretty complex. You have dozens of lines of code just to do this one thing. I'm saying, okay, here's where you stop. You don't mock that. You put a, right. you put in a, 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 a single interface on top of that that says call foo method, yeah, or call yeah. foo function. Go yeah. get this data, yeah. mock that. Yeah. yeah, and that is a single method call, extremely mm. easy to work with. Now, it's not only that uh, 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 you ha now had to do it for uh, 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 to support easy mocking. Now you have very, uh, uh, very big uh, separation between your yeah. 
data access code, which in Habernet, if you're doing the very complex parts, is certainly high-level data access, but you see data access. Mm. And not having to do whatever uh, crazy stuff that the database makes sure. you do. Right. And it's, you're right. There's no reason to mock that stuff. No. Because yes. It's, it's yeah. done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Runwalk does work very well together with the rest of my toolset. Like, I'm using Windsor for 100% mm -hmm. of my applications. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, Weasel is a dependency uh, injection container. I think you had to talk yep. about that with uh, James Kovacs. Kovacs yeah. yeah, yeah, great show. So, mm -hmm. so if you're using a dependency injection uh, uh, container, mm -hmm. then you already are along the way to creating this decoupled design. Sure. That so uh, uh, that make using Mock so easy. Yep. So uh, one of the things that I have is actually a, a marriage between Runmox and the and the Weasel container to create the auto mocking container. The what? Auto mocking container. Auto mocking. Auto mocking. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the deal. I have a. a it's a, where your car gets out and goes neener, neener, <laughs> neener, neener, neener. Uh, so you have this uh, a component, let's say again, the order processing uh, component that has five dependencies on a uh, tax calculation, discount calculation, whatever calculation you want. Yeah. So uh, now. When you want to test that, and you want to test it in isolation, so you tell the auto-mocking container, give me an instance of the auto-processing component, and it gives you an instance of the auto-processing auto, uh, 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 auto component, but all of the dependencies are not really dependencies, they are mock objects. Mm. Automatically. Can, yeah. Mm. So, you, so it takes away the pain of actually having to create a mock object and uh, decide which mock object goes where. Sure. Now, it's also dangerous because it's, hide the pain of having too much dependencies in the class. Yeah, you could really hammer yourself if yeah. you let that get out of control. Oh, yeah. I had, <laughs> I had classes that had 20 dependencies. Oh, my goodness. Now, if you <laughs> reach this point, this says that... You need to do a little refactoring. Yeah, the, the class that has 20 dependencies yeah. is doing 20 too different much. things. Yeah, So just break it apart to five, six uh, different classes, and you get much... Uh, much better uh, cohesion in the, in, in the code. This is right. a nice tangent I always like to go off on when we get to this point in the conversation. How granular is too granular? How? In other words, separation of concerns, obviously you want a lot of objects that are decoupled. Is there such a thing as too much, as over-decoupling? Um, let me... I'm not going to answer this. I'm going to give you an example. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I'm going into teams and I'm, uh, uh, and I'm telling them about things like the solid principle and telling them about good uh, old designs. Yeah. One of the things that I keep telling them, yeah. the only way to get good software maintainability to be able to respond to change very easily is yeah. to hard code everything. To hard code everything. Yes. Wow. Yes. Now. Uh, and who said this? I. Me. Okay, you say this. Yeah. So just hard Explain code. Explain yourself. Yes. So <laughs> the idea here is that you can try to do configuration, you can try to do everything, but yeah. I already have this wonderful tool uh, 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 for configuring software. It's called C Sharp. Nice. And the tool to, uh, to, uh, 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 that I'm using for that is the C Sharp compiler. Yeah. yeah. Oddly enough, works, it works really well. Really, yeah. really well. So yeah. let's take a very simple example of. Uh, if you are from uh, Texas, you get 5% off of yeah. barbecue set. I don't know. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't I just, know why you said that. Yeah, why, I, I, how you picked that one? I have no yeah, idea it was why. just in case and Coffee in Texas, and we yeah. had just some great steaks and burgers yeah. and everything. <laughs> so, this is a role, This is a, a business role in the system. Yeah. Now, I can try to figure out some way of doing that using a, 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 some a dynamic, a, a, some data-driven rules or maybe right, some sure. a, a, a XML configuration or something like that. But I can just write the rule. Right. If, the, if state equal TX yeah. and a, a order contains barbecue set, yeah. then give this 5%. Now, so long as that is in a nice now, now this is separate in, place. Yes. So this yeah. is in a separate class. Right. Yeah. This is a, a class called a, a give discount for barbecue sure. set for people from Texas. <laughs> that is the class name in camel case uh, either camel case or I'm using uh, underscores nice okay so and this is a class name it's implement this uh, uh, I order rule uh, I order processing rule which has a single uh, uh, method uh, okay. single method that it needs to implement yeah. at runtime I can scan the, the uh, application and say give me all the order processing rules now execute all the processing rules right, right. Now, yeah, yeah. Uh, from my point of view, it means you want an, an, another business rule? No problem. I write a single class, yeah. five lines of code, ten lines of code is the worst that I've seen, yeah, that, I've seen right. that. And I'm done. Oh, wait, you want, to, you want me to remove this piece of code? No problem. Just delete the class. Yeah. Right. You want sure. to do this at runtime? Again, no problem. I can, uh, 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 at one point, uh, I had the configuration with CS files, C sharp files mm-hmm. that right. were, were dynamically compiled. You want me to remove that, go to the directory, uh, uh, press delete. Yeah. The application will recognize that, recompile the, uh, 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 the code, notice that this isn't there, remove the, the old rule from there, and yeah. that's done. Right. So you don't really have any complexity uh, 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 in defining the rule. The only complexity is somewhere deep in the guts of the well, application. It is a little bit more complex than simply opening up an XML file and changing a 5 to 0. You know? uh, I mean, that's, dep- that's assuming that you can actually manage that. That's the problem. Yeah. So manageability is the yeah, reason. Why. I have, and and I, testability, too. Oh, yeah. You, you, can, you really have hard time testing configuration when the configuration is different between the actual uh, yeah that makes a lot of sense actual production and, te- and uh, dev mode don't yeah. get me started into trying to figure out production problem because the, of configuration <laughs> issues <laughs> but the tricky part here okay. is you have to have the plumbing to tolerate you throwing the, pulling these classes in and right. out and Takes enumerating them when they exist half a day but, but a it day. is, it is but once you have it done yeah. you're done and yeah. um, sure there are a lot of tools that allow, Windsor can do it in a uh, uh, if you, you use, use a plug-in architecture Windsor, as well, yeah. too, just to scan for the yeah, DLLs and load them up. If they need. Literally, yeah. Or you uh, could use MEF. Thank you, Glenn. Yeah. Glenn Block, ladies and gentlemen. Glenn <laughs> <Block>. <laughs> Look for him on .NET Rocks coming soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, MEF is one option. Windsor is one option. Any sort of plug-in architecture, any sort of being able to dynamically inject dependency would give you disability. Right. Now, uh, the, the point that we get real benefit out of that I have a system with 4,000 rules. I have another system with 15,000 rules. Now, go figure out what, the, what this method is. Why, why, did, yeah. uh, why did this guy get a discount? Right. Yeah, or, or a real-world example, quote generation system. Right. You come to me, you want an SMS uh, uh, server for 500 users uh, using a CDMA, whatever. Right. Okay, so what do we need for 500 users? Okay, you need two... Uh, uh, 
a front-end server, one a database server. Wait, which database server are you using? Okay, you're using Oracle. Mm -hmm. And okay, yeah. if you're using Oracle, we need also this uh, component. This component require a, a, a licensing per user. So whole bunch of uh, rules about which one, what goes which and where. Sure. And you have 15,000 rules that depend on, that determine who does that, and no one owns the rules. Right. I mean, the a, a database team can tell you a, 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 what component you need per the amount of user per the database, but they own just this part. And uh, the, uh, the uh, front-end team owns this part of the rules. Now, mm. you pour all of them together into a single system because you, you as the company need to generate a quote for the client. You can't tell them, okay, go ask this, 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 that's, that's not the way it's done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and then you end up with a system that costs a, a half a million dollars. I want this, this small size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, 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 what did happen? So you have 1,500 tools, uh, 15,000 rules, you don't know what's going in the system. Yeah. Sure. So uh, uh, one of the ways of solving that is not have 50,000 rules. But <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. One, one of the, uh, another thing of doing that is actually having the rules in code. So, A, you can debug that. Yeah. yeah. But even if you can, if you, if you try to debug that, 15,000 rules just trying to debug, you sure. will go mad. So if you have it in code, you can now start doing uh, more interesting things about that, such as, uh, okay, when these rules evaluate to true, I'm going to mark that as part of the rule execution context. Right. Mm -hmm. And when this rule uh, uh, adds this discount or this component, so uh, I'm going to mark that as well. So when I'm giving you the actual report about, okay, this is going to uh, cost half a million dollars, then you can say, why? And part of the design of the system, part of the core design of the system would be to show you what happened and how actually, what, what caused, uh, yeah. why do we need... A, a 500 Oracle licenses. Yeah, right. And okay. okay, because you choose Oracle and you didn't choose the, this component. Okay, let's add this component. Okay, now it's cost 100,000 mm. or something like that. Right. Mm. But the main yeah. thing is being able to say, these are the rules that were invoked mm -hmm. based and, on the requirements you gave me. Yes. And now their names are actually being part of the uh, actual UI of the system. Right. Uh, uh, and that's why you actually named them uh, in this way. Mm. Now, going back to your original question, when yes. is too much a. Uh, uh, Breaking down too much is right. too much. Is I don't think that it's only depend on the scenario that you have. In this case, I have a class which is which has a single a, a, a single line, a, a, a unit amount plus plus. That's the that's the only thing that is that you have in this class. Right. But the fact that you have just added them added to amount by one is a business rule that has a, a meaning, that has a name, sure, that has yeah. a purpose, that I want to track who did it and why and when and how. Mm. All of that means that I really want to be able to track things at the lowest level possible. Right. It also comes uh, uh, back together to, I don't want my system uh, uh, to be, I don't want to have to think when I'm building my system. I have a very low level of, uh, this is the infrastructure of the system, this is what the system does, Everything else, I have well-defined extension point that I'm actually using to build the rest of the system. Right. Not a, now, the rest of the system is the, the entire system. The order processing component is just get the order processing rules and execute them. Tax calculation is an order rule, the order processing rule. This mm. calculation is, is another set of rules that we use. Right. So, it's basically, it's turtle all the way down. So, you end up with software that has, I mean... You do a lot of separation of concerns into separate assemblies and into separate C sharp files. How you know? 
do you end up with projects that have thousands and thousands of assemblies or thousands no. of C sharp files or thousands of uh, classes? Thousands yes. of classes. Does that ever put a strain on Visual Studio? That not not if you're using uh, classes. No, there is no problem with classes. If you're using yeah. lots of lots of projects, yeah, that is a big problem. Right. When See now, you know, somebody like Mark Miller is a big fan of making lots and lots of assemblies, and. The problem with that is that when you go beyond the 15 project mark or something like that, yeah. Visual Studio really starts to hit a performance right. uh, hit. I saw a project with a, a 60, 60 project a solution with 60 project, so solution with over 100 projects, and compilation time, compilation time now became a significant factor. Right. Uh, and I'm looking at that and say, okay, I hit compile. It takes 30 seconds. My own attention span is five seconds. <laughs> I'm going to move to do something else. Yeah, yeah. I can't, uh, and I can't handle something and, that takes yeah. 30 seconds just to compile. That's, uh, and now you've got to watch the rest of the sitcom because it's 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. You've got to finish uh, your beer or whatever it is. Or more to the point, I'm whatever. going to read email. And yeah, I'm whatever. getting enough email that, okay, 30 seconds of actually writing code and compiling, moving to email, 30 minutes. 30 right. minutes, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, to read yeah. email, write a blog post. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. What about when you have thousands of C sharp files? Does it become really difficult to find them? I mean, you you got to have you you're, you're clever with your naming schemes, as most people are. When you have lots and lots of files, you have classes that have mm -hmm. really long names. Yeah, and you know you're looking through that explorer and you use. Uh, I'm using the sharper for everything. I think okay. this is. Uh, mandatory part of the developer experience. Right. Yeah. You got to have some sort of tool to manage yeah. that. Yeah, so what I'm doing is just control N, write it the first part of uh, of the the class name. And usually yeah. I'm naming stuff like uh, using some sort of logic such as right. a, a discount for blah blah. So I'm just writing... Right. Starts with the uh, word discount. Yeah, and then so discount, here are all the discount yeah. rules and I can very uh, easily page through and just browse through everything that I have here. Yeah. And uh, so don't really have this problem. Yeah. I, so I'm trying to get I'm trying to get a handle on you know back to the whole how much mm -hmm. coupling decoupling is too much decoupling. I guess the answer is I mean if you have the tools to manage just the enormity of classes and uh, of things that you end up with, I would actually say that if you don't have the tools to manage that, you're in a problem. Yeah. Because let's here's a very simple example. Let's take a, a C++ code, any code. Yeah. Right. It's going to have a memory leak. Okay? It's also going to crash. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> at least we noticed about the crash. Memory leak yeah. we noticed after things fell over. Yeah. I mean, IS actually have a mode on by default yeah. just because it, it, to restart every 24 hours or 20, uh, 29 hours mm. because of this, because so many applications have a memory leak. Leak memory, mm, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah. Put it on IS. You don't have memory leaks. Or yeah. you don't think that you have memory yeah. leaks. Yeah. We just cleaned up the leak often enough that yeah. you, you get so, over so it. So you don't care about that. And 
the, the reason for that is that you make people think about memory. Right. Now, mm-hmm. in .NET, you still have memory leaks, but you have to work to get to, mem- to, yeah. to memory leak. Yeah. Now, and people, uh, uh, now, the reason that I'm bringing memory leaks in C++, in C++ is that you had to think about that. You didn't have the tool to handle that. Sure, yeah. Now, uh, and people wrote code that, I mean, think about how much faster you can go in a, a .NET versus C++ mm. just because you don't have to manage memory. Right, you sure. don't have to manage plumbing. Yeah. It's oh, off yeah. the yeah. table. Now, yeah. if, you, if you don't give people the tools that they need in order to do this, no. they wouldn't be able to very, do this. Right. Now, the thing that really uh, annoys me is that it's extremely easy to do this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, here's a simple example. Let's say that you want to uh, compile code on the fly to be so you can just drop a, a not a, not a, a, a DLL, drop a C sharp file and execute mm. it on your application. Right. I have a screencast that is doing that in 30 minutes. Let's say that you don't know how to do that. Mm. It will take you a day to figure it out. Yeah. Now, but people. Uh, but it'll take you a day to figure no, it out. No, no, no. Take <laughs> someone else. You don't know anything. You just know that you want to compile code on the fly. Hell, you can execute a CSC, a, a, the C sharp compiler yeah. executable. Process.start, CSC, here's the file, here's the output. Now uh, uh, do assembly load on the right, output. Right, right. And that takes minutes to, to do in the hackiest way possible. No, sure, sure. The problem that I see is people are not, uh, that really bothers me is, not building the tool that they need to solve the problem. They stick with their, uh, I know this is, not, this is wrong, and I would like to do something else, but I can't because uh, I did some work for Microsoft building the SVM bridge uh, project. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, SVM bridge is a bridge between, so you use a SVM client to talk to a TFS server. Right. So and if you're used, to, you're used to working with Turtle SVN or you know, one of these other subversion mm-hmm. clients, being able to talk directly to TFS is yes. pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, one of the things that really annoyed me during this project, that for uh, legal reasons, I wasn't able to use a lot of the tools that I uh, used to, uh, I'm used to using, like right. uh, 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 Windsor. Yeah. So I wrote a Pullman IOC, and I urge anyone who actually look at the code to notice that it says, only use if you have no other choice. I'm sorry that I had to write that. <laughs> okay? But writing this a, a, a piece of code, which only fits a single purpose, and is a very bad IOC container. Right. But it took me a, a, a 30 minutes to actually write that. Yeah. Right. And it started from an IOC container, which is 59 long. Yeah, yeah. Then I was still able to maintain this a, a, a style of programming that allow me to work very rapidly right. and uh, uh, don't have to manage the complexity of having a lot of classes. Don't have sure. to manage the uh, uh, complexity of uh, doing dependency, uh, dependency injection by hand. Mm. Right. So you still have that advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that, that people try to do the... Uh, here's, here's an example. Okay. Uh, building an IOC container takes anywhere, anywhere from it's really 30 minutes. It's a simple thing. Yeah. No, th- that's the point. It's like anywhere from 30 minutes to three months. Okay? <laughs> now, if you do the 30 minutes, you're done. If you, do, if you try to do a week, you wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, you wouldn't be able to finish unless you did the whole 
not three months of full developer time. I see. I get, I, I get your point. It's, you either do it quick and dirty and you're done. Yes. As soon as you try and think beyond that scope, you're committing a huge amount of time and is building a product. It, yeah. The, the problem is that if you're trying to build something, a, 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 for this purpose, one use only, not trying to make right. it generic, not trying to make it, you can get right. it. I had places where I actually in the IOC container, I put an if condition for a particular component. Mm. If, you, if this is an, a, a, this component, then here's the code that you need to execute. Right. Special yeah. casing for a particular case, hard coordinating container. Uh, well, uh, yeah, you know, Windows yeah. is full of code like that. Yeah, <laughs> so, but my, my and that, the, the point is that yeah. I was able to make this work for this single purpose. Sure. If, uh, but if you want to re build a real world, uh, uh, Some, for someone else to use, yeah, yeah, it's then, you, then it's much bigger proposition. Just yeah. handling something like generic specialization, which is a just crazy feature that you need to support now because of uh, uh, generics, is a huge problem to solve. Right. So, but you don't need that if you just want to to do this one thing. So, what else is on your mind these days? Other tools that you like or you dislike or. Uh, uh, not so much as tools as um, approaches. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking a lot more today about how to kill three-tier architecture, how to... How uh, to kill three-tier architecture? Yes. Okay. You, you know the, the typical, we have a web server, we have an application yeah. server, we have a DB server. Right. And it sucks. But I just debate as to when we ever actually need an application server. Shouldn't it always live on the web server? I think... The reason that you actually wanted to have an application server was one reason, connection pooling. Right. Mm. And, and that was yeah. the main reason that you wanted to do something like that. But I, I did connection pooling on the, to the database, but why do I need to have a, a different number of connections between the web server and the application server? Uh, it usually, if you want to, to I, I don't think that you do. Yeah, the, I don't think so either. So. Yeah. The, 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 sometimes you want to do that if you have an additional state or if you have different parts of the system, mm. such as you have this UI for the uh, external site and you have this UI for uh, admin purposes, mm. and the application server also serves as a, a, the actual application itself, and this is just one part of that. So, right. so you have application server that also does payroll processing. Yeah. But it also handles requests about, okay, show me my current salary, or stuff yeah. like that. But hey, I can see where an when you have application resources or some kind of mm -hmm. set of objects that are processor-intensive or long-running, that are independent, the execution of that is somewhat independent to what the web server needs to do, combining them creates a yes. problem. But that seems so to me like the that, exception. Yes, most cases you don't need an application right. server. But more to the point, most cases you don't even need a database. Or you don't need to think in database terms. Uh, one of the things that a um, couple of, I think it's already a couple of months ago, I was doing consulting in a company and they had a, a tree-based structure. Right. Uh, that handles some sort of uh, organization structure or something like that. Now, uh, in a, for any particular client, they had anything between 10,000 to 100,000 items in this tree. Right. And it's uh, hierarchical and whatever. And the catch here is that when you want to show the tree to a user, you have logic that says, okay, this particular node in the tree, you can't see that. Right. But a node underneath that, that node, you can see. So you basically have to restructure the tree and bring that uh, uh, low-level node mm. up one level. Right. Mm -hmm. So it requires some calculation. And the problem is that for a very common UI operation, expanding the tree, 
you now had to do this complex calculation, and it took 40 seconds. Right. Yeah. Again, very common in our operation. Now, uh, they optimized the data access, they rewrote the algorithm, and they brought it down to 20 seconds, which I think this is an amazing feat yeah. uh, that they were able to do, that 100% uh, improvement. Now, uh, when I came here, uh, when, I'm, uh, when I came there, uh, I look at the call and say, why are we actually doing that in this way? Hmm. And uh, we basically said, okay, let's take the entire part that handled this uh, uh, organization structure, move it to a component of its own. Right. That was a, 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 big, a big chunk of work. Right. But once we had it in a component on its own, and it owned everything about this uh, uh, organization structure, now we are able to say, okay, at application startup, we are going to load the entire thing to memory. Right. 100,000 rows, it's about 100 megabytes, no big deal today. And uh, we can load it into memory, structure it in, the, in, in a manner that means that I can access any piece of the tree in an O1 uh, time. I can, in, okay, you want me to give you a, a, a tree a, a personalized to a certain user? No problem. I'm going to take this node scan downward to see all the nodes that they don't have access, blah, 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 right. mm -hmm. and uh, give you a three specials for this user. What, is the, uh, what do you think is the, this optimization gave them? Seconds yeah. to process now. Five. Five seconds. Mm. Milliseconds. Milliseconds. Five okay. milliseconds. <laughs> yes. Wow. Five milliseconds yeah. instead of the initial 40 right. and the optimized 20. And they didn't lose any... Uh, features about no, dynamic using the, the machine right properly. Mm -hmm. Was it, this is no a read-only set of data? No, it's a write, write set. Okay. But the uh, service that uh, also gives you the, the data also responsible for, ah, for that. Okay. So, so it's basically just a matter of caching. It's caching the personalization and... The personalization, right. And doing a whole lot of work inside the, that service. Recognizing there's yeah. a standard set of work you need to do, right. having that prepared in advance so you only yes. have to do the unique calculation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you don't need to do anything. Five right. milliseconds, that includes the the time to make the web service call. <laughs> wow. Okay? So uh, that was like, uh, and I did the same thing, like how much time is it? Uh, five? Uh, and he says, uh, the uh, client said, the guy said, five seconds? seconds? No. I, I can, uh, yes, that's great. In milliseconds. That, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Show me that. And we actually, uh, it was really, really a, a, a nice moment. Yeah. Right. But the idea here is that people are trying, and I've seen people that are uh, uh, trying to push so much stuff into optimizing at the database level and, right. or uh, in a single database, which is another uh, 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 horrible concept, but never mind. And okay, take it out of the realm of doing the optimized data access. Yeah, yeah. Put a box that is responsible for making this work right. and see how much you can do when you don't really care about a, 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 a trying to push everything to the database at once. Yeah. So are we really talking about people are trapped in these architectures without where knowing everything why? Everything is in the data. Where yeah, everything the database-centric model. Yes, or not even the database-centric model. Just it's everything goes all the way to the database all the way back. Even Every time, right. Yes. Or even That's just a standard optimization. Yeah, just don't go to analysis. database. Analysis, yeah. Or don't even use the database. Right, yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I found fascinating is a database called CouchDB. Now, CouchDB is a non-relational database. Right. Now, it's work on the document model. Basically, uh, uh, you write the document there, and it's a, 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 key, a, a key value model based on... A, a, basically, think about it like a JSON object. 
right? You have a yeah. key value. Value can be another key value, a, a dictionary or sure. an array or whatever. And when you start thinking about that, then you realize that, okay, you lose the ability to do a, 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 a ad hoc queries. Right. But you gain the ability to do a... a, a you basically build a JavaScript function mm. that can process this and generate a, a view on top of that. And now you have a, a think about it like you don't have you, you can't do any sort of query except on a view, right? But query on a view is a, and Richard, you will recognize that is a search on a binary tree, right? So it's insanely fast. Are you for that task? It's incredibly fast. Yeah. Uh, are you using link these days? I'm using link uh, to object quite a bit. Using link to in Rhino Max. Um, I'm using lambdas a lot in Rhinomox. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Link is a language feature is both good and uh, scary. Yeah. Scary because the amount of work that you had to do in order to provide a real world, uh, real world uh, link provider. It's link provider. By the way, it's the same thing as like analysis. You can write yeah. a link provider in a day. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or three months. Or three months. <laughs> yeah. Or nine months. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you, you don't, you can't write anything in the middle. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just moving away from the, the, the thinking about, uh, stratify thinking about, okay, we have this and this and this and this is how we build. Architecture by road. Right. Mm. Okay. And Without the, actually thinking about what are we doing here, does it need this? Yeah. Well, you know, it all, all comes back to being a good analyst, right? I mean, to being able to find where bottlenecks are and uh, mm -hmm. I think so. And uh, yeah. solve them. So where can we get RhinoMox? Uh, Iende.com and Project RhinoMox download. Excellent. Iende Rahin Oranini, thank, thank you very, you very much. much. Oranini, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Dotnet Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.